Hey, good morning, Redemption Tempe. Yes, faith, love it. Hey, my name is John Crawford. I am one of your pastors here, and it is great to be with you all. It's great to worship with you all. It's great to open God's word with you all as we continue our series in Luke chapter 12 called Rich Towards God. In 1988, something happened in our society. Something was released into the world and released into our society, and it sounded like this. Don't worry, be happy. This is not Bob Marley. For those of you, a lot of people think it's Bob Marley. This is Bobby McFerrin. Bobby McFerrin in 1988 released this song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. And it captivated our society. Song, the song won Grammy Song of the Year, the year, Grammy Song of the Year, the year it was released. And it has been listened to billions of times over the last 35 years. And whether you like it or not, it's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the day, (laughs) thanks to me. Whether you like it or not, this song is catchy. And because it's catchy, it inspired our society with the melody that gave us hope that we could get rid of worry. But has it affected us or changed us in the last 35 years? No. And according to studies, America is the most worried country in the world. We're the most worried country in the world, but in a 2021 study done on American anxiety, the number one thing that we worry about is money. The country with the most wealth is the most worried. Let that sink in. And as we look at our passage in Luke chapter 12 today, Jesus says, don't worry. He tells us not to worry. And when we hear this, I think we can almost think of Jesus as a backup singer for Bobby McFerrin. He's singing, don't worry, be happy. But here's the thing with this song. This song offers zero solution for our worry other than just don't do it. Be happy. Just be happy. It sounds like the power of positive thinking. But is this what Jesus is saying, or is there something more to his message? What might Jesus say about our worry? Is there a solution? Does he offer anything better for us than just some catchy song lyrics? Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. You can get out your phone app as well. We're looking at verses 22 to 31 this morning. Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. The first thing we see in our passage today is that your worry comes from seeking security. Your worry comes from seeking security. And so Jesus says, don't be anxious about food or clothing. And he's specifically talking to his disciples. Last week, as he was talking, a dude stood up and interrupted him. 
and he was greedy. And Warren preached on this passage about Jesus addressing this man's greed, but now Jesus turns to his disciples and he's telling his disciples specifically, don't worry about food or clothing. Jesus is speaking to a predominantly poor community of people who would have labored from day to day for their wages. It would have been very normal at this time to only have one spare garment, one extra pair of clothing. And so these people didn't have walk-in closets like we have, right? Full of clothes. The first house that Marike and I lived in in Chandler, there was a walk-in closet that was bigger than our master bathroom, right? That's not their situation. Their situation meant that they were only one sickness, one mishap, one accident away from being destitute. Food and clothing was a means of survival for them. And so Jesus tells them, don't worry. He tells his disciples not to be anxious because Jesus knows what worry about material things will do in the life of his disciples. That it'll preoccupy them. It'll prevent them from the life that Jesus has for them. And Jesus doesn't want his followers to be captivated by worry. And so there's a command. Jesus gives this command. Don't worry about your life. But we do. But we worry. But where does it come from? We worry because of what we are seeking. Seeking meaning what our hearts are set on, what we're concentrating on, what we're focusing and devoting ourselves to. The food and clothing that Jesus talked about here means something very different for us today than what it meant in the first century. We worry about food and clothes because what they represent. They represent something deeper for us. So Jesus says, don't worry in verse 22, but in verse 23, he said, don't worry because your life is more than food and clothing. See, they were seeking security in food and clothing, but we have it all. We have all the food and clothes that we want, but we are seeking security in other things. Some of you are seeking security in finances, security from attaining for the future, achieving for the future, right? This is the stable job. This is the college tuition, the 401k. But some of you are seeking security in relationships, security from the approval of others, what other people think of you. This is the whole basis of social media. Social media is built off of approval, off the like button. Facebook was tanking until they created the like button. And now social media is all about approval. Some of you are seeking security in identity. Am I valuable? Seeking worth, trying to prove your value and worth in this story that our culture tells us that your worth is based on what you have, what you do, or how you look. Our culture tells us this story. This is the narrative that we hear, and it's reinforced every day that through money, food, clothing, experiences, you can have security and you can have it financially, relationally, in your identity. But this story is leaving you empty and it's leaving you anxious. It doesn't alleviate worry, it amplifies it. So the question that I have for you this morning is where are you seeking security that's making you worry? 
Where are you seeking security that's making you worry? And as I say that, some of you are seeking it in finances. When finances get brought up, it hits close to home because you're actually in a really difficult, tough season right now financially because there's been job loss, because you have mounting medical bills due to your treatment, because the cost of living in our city and the rent market has skyrocketed with inflation. And so you're having a hard time just making ends meet and you don't know if you're gonna be able to make rent. God sees you. In the midst of your fear and anxiety about what the future holds, God sees you and he's with you. And Jesus is not Bobby McFerrin just saying, don't worry, be happy, but he is your provider who provides for your needs. But some of you are seeking financial security just to attain more. You're striving and you're trying to attain more and you're actually worried just about keeping up. And if that's you, my question for you is how much is enough? How much is enough? But are you seeking security in identity? Are you believing the lie that your worth comes from what you have, what you do, and how you look? How are you trying to prove your worth? How are you trying to establish yourself? What are you posting on social media? And what are the filters that you're using before you post? What are you buying? Who are you trying to network with in order to establish yourself? But some of you are seeking security in relationships. Whose approval are you seeking? Whose approval do you want so badly? And what are you willing to do to try to get it? Because this, if this is you, and this is what you're seeking, the danger for you is that you will fill yourself with anxiety and stress, and you will run from God in order to run towards people for approval, and you will compromise your faithfulness to Jesus. When you seek security in any of these things, you will be perpetually worried. But this begs the question that much more about Jesus. Does Jesus offer us anything better than Bobby McFerrin's song lyrics, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Verse 24. Jesus said, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you O you of little faith. Next thing we see Jesus saying in this passage is that you don't need to worry when you trust the one who seeks you. You don't need to worry when you trust the one who seeks you. 
So Jesus tells his disciples, here's why you don't need to worry. The birds and the flowers don't worry because God seeks them. So he says, consider the ravens, consider the lilies. They aren't seeking after God, but God is seeking them and he cares for them. God's seeking is shown in his desire to provide and initiate provision for them. Jesus literally says here, he says, they don't do anything. In verse 24 and 27, he says, they neither sow nor reap. They don't have storehouses or barns. They don't toil nor spin. They don't produce anything. They don't preserve anything. They don't do anything, but God is gracious and his grace provides for them. God seeks the ravens and he brings them food. Even the ravens. This is intentional that Jesus says the ravens because according to the law in the Old Testament in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14, ravens were unclean animals. And so Jesus is saying, hey, even the lowliest animals, God cares for and he provides and he seeks. But God seeks the lilies. He doesn't say the orchids, the peonies, the roses. He says lilies. And he clothes the lilies better than King Solomon in all his glory. And so Jesus is saying, if God takes that much care of dirty scavenger birds and some random field flowers, how much more does he value you and seek you, my disciples? This is what Jesus is doing. He's giving them an invitation to trust and rest in him instead of worry about these things, to rest in the God who seeks you. It's as if he says, hey, if you're struggling with worry, if you need a little bit of help, look around and let the birds and the flowers be your teachers. There's a poem that's written about this passage in Luke chapter 12. I think it'll be on the screen here as well. But this is the poem. Said the robin to the raven, I should really like to know why the anxious humans rush and worry so? Said the raven to the robin, friend, I think that it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Here's the irony about this poem though. Birds aren't children of God, but you are. You are children of God, not birds. And so Jesus is saying, how much more does he want to care for you and lavish his grace on you? While you are seeking security in finances, in relationships, in your identity, God in Christ is seeking you. And what you are so desperately seeking with food and money and clothing and experiences, God provides it for you in Jesus. I know for me, this is a big part of my own story, especially before I became a Christian. And for me, this resonates deeply because before I became a Christian, I was seeking security by proving my worth through the approval of other people. Growing up, especially as a teenager, I was different than the typical kid. I didn't really fit in. I liked punk rock music and metal, and I skateboarded, and I dressed that way, and I grew up in Scottsdale, and I was a bit different, right? Just a bit different. 
Um, I felt like an outsider, was rejected by people and friends. And as a teenager, I remember getting my first job. 16 years old, I got my first job. And the best part of getting your first job is that you get your first paycheck. And I vividly remember getting my first paycheck because what I got to do. As a kid who felt rejected, who wanted people's approval, I was like, you know what? I got this paycheck. I can buy stuff that I've never been able to buy. I drove to Scottsdale Fashion Square Mall. And I was on a mission. I'm going to buy some nice clothes, and I'm going to look good. And so that's what I did. I remember Diesel was like the brand at the time for like designer denim. And so I went to Scottsdale Fashion Square, and I bought Diesel jeans. And then I bought some sweet shoes and I bought shirts and just cool clothes. And I vividly remember, literally right now, how I felt. I felt amazing. And it wasn't just like, oh, you know, the retail therapy, oh, I'm just getting to buy stuff so I feel good. No, I felt amazing because what then happened? The comments that I started to get, right? The positive comments that people would then make of like, oh, dude, you look good. Or, oh, man, that's, that's sick. Those are sweet shoes. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, hey, dude, that, you pull that off, but I could never pull that off, right? And the way that made me feel, it made me feel good. I felt like I had worth based on the approval of people at my job that I had, at school, with girls. I got my first girlfriend after this. Yeah. What I had been looking for, seeking, longing for, I actually felt like I found it in fashion. I found it in fashion. But the problem, once I found it in fashion, is that I had to maintain it. I had to maintain it. And this led to a life of worry. It led to me trying and striving to maintain, oh, people approving. And when your approval is based on what you wear, you always got to buy new stuff so people notice you. And so I'm making dumb decisions. I'm blowing all my money, getting into debt, all because I'm trying to maintain approval of people. And what happened was it made me turn inward, made me selfish, it made me perpetually worried, and I live this way for several years. But while I was seeking security in the approval of other people, God was seeking me. God was seeking me. And I remember the first time I encountered Jesus. I'm one of those people that I have the conversion moment. Like I remember where I was, when it was, and I remember the feeling of worth that God gave me the feeling of actually being approved and accepted by God because of Jesus, and the feeling of freedom of, I don't need to worry this way, that I'm loved by God because of Christ and what he's done for me, and it enabled me to rest. But here's the thing. This is 16 years ago. I don't want to get up here and tell you the story like, oh, you know, like conversion moment, I've never struggled with approval again. That's not how this has worked. There's a freedom that came, but I'm still learning not to worry about the approval of other people because I'm trusting in Jesus and that he actually provides for the deep longings of my heart. Part of my own continued growth in Christ is being free from the worry of what other people think because I'm fully accepted 
and loved by God because of Jesus, and my value and worth does not come from other people, but it comes from God. And similarly for you, you don't need to worry because God is seeking you, and Jesus says you have much more value than the birds and flowers. And when we hear value, we think about how much something costs, right? That's oftentimes what we think, oh, the value is based on what it costs. And so when Jesus says you have much more value, you might be sitting here wondering, well, how much value do I have? Birds and flowers don't really seem that valuable. But as you drove here this morning and you saw cars all over the roads, Jesus says you have much more value than the cost of the average car in America, $48,000. And as you look around the city and you see houses in your neighborhood, Jesus says you have more value than the cost of even the most expensive house that has ever been sold in Arizona, $28.1 million. And as you read tweets on Twitter, Jesus says you have more value than the cost for Elon Musk to buy Twitter, $44 billion. Jesus says you have more value because you are a child of the Father. You are worth the ultimate cost. Christ was the cost for you. He gave himself for you. So you can experience not a life of worry, but a life of trust and rest and provision and grace where there actually is true and lasting security. Church, Jesus frees you from the need to seek security and be consumed by worry because God is your heavenly father. And his invitation for you this morning is to rest and receive his gracious provision. And when you do this, he reorients your life towards seeking his kingdom. But what does this look like? Verse 29. Do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Last thing we see Jesus saying in this passage is, when you seek God's kingdom, your worries will be taken care of. When you seek God's kingdom, your worries will be taken care of. So Jesus brings up the nations of the world here to his disciples. And as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, hey, the nations of the world live this way. They're worried, they're striving after things, they're consumed by material possessions, but you don't live like the rest of the world, the nations of the world. And Jesus saying this to his disciples is key, that he brings up the nations. Because Israel should recognize the difference between the nations and those who call God Father. This is the first time in this passage that Jesus refers to God as Father, and it's very intentional that he's doing this to contrast God as Father with the gods of the nations. Because the other nations' gods were distant, removed, they were fickle, and so the nations should be worried if this is how their gods are. But the disciples are different. 
God is their father. And if God is their father, what should prevent them from trusting in him and resting in him? The way of the world, Jesus says, seeks after these things for security and approval and worth, but disciples of Jesus can actually live differently because what God has done for us. Jesus says in verse 31, seek the kingdom, seek God's kingdom. God brings us into his kingdom and now we can set our hearts on Jesus and his way in the world. So when we seek the kingdom, we align our hearts with God's plan, with his purposes, with his priorities in the world. And when we do that, everything gets put into its rightful place. This frees you from captivity to the way of the world when you realize that security does not come from money, food, clothing, experiences. And when you realize that, you are freed to live generously for the sake of God's kingdom. You're freed to be rich towards God. There's a man named John Wesley. Some of you may know his name. John Wesley lived in the 1700s in England. And in the year 1738, something powerful happened in his life. He encountered Jesus for the first time. He started following Jesus. He experienced salvation. And John Wesley was now compelled as a recipient of God's generosity to live a life of generosity for the sake of God's kingdom. And at the time, in 1738, he was earning 30 pounds. But his living expenses, his cost of living, was 28 pounds. And so he started giving two pounds. But he was convinced that he was called to live a life of generosity as a follower of Jesus. And so the next year, the second year that he's following Jesus, he gets a raise. He starts making double. He went from 30 pounds to now 60 pounds, but John Wesley said, I'm going to maintain my standard of living and my living expenses at 28 pounds. And so the second year, he gave 32 pounds. And the third year, he got another raise and he started making 90 pounds, but he said, I'm going to keep my standard of living the same, 28 pounds. In the third year, he gave 62 pounds, and he continued this every year. He made more money, but he always kept his standard of living at 28 pounds all the way until he started making 1,400 pounds. But he said, my standard of living is 28 pounds so that I can give away 1,372 pounds for the rest of his life. And it's John Wesley who said this, what should rise is not the Christian standard of living, but the Christian standard of giving. What should rise is not the Christian standard of living, but the Christian standard of giving. But I wonder, what's your standard of giving? What's your standard of giving? I think for us, when we think about giving, we oftentimes think about it as, ah, it's something that I should do, we kind of think about it as paying a bill. Like, oh man, you know, if I don't pay a bill, I'm going to go to collections. And oh, if I don't give, I don't know, God might be mad at me or something. So I'm just going to like give a little bit of money. So we think about giving as paying a bill. But we need to think about giving as investing. Because there's a difference between paying a bill and investing. There's a fundamental mindset shift when you begin thinking about investing money. 
Because there's a question when it comes to investing. The question that guides you is, how much can I possibly put in because of the return? I wonder if you were freed from the things that you are so worried about, what kind of kingdom investment could you have? Last year, the average American spent $3,568 on entertainment for themselves. What if you were investing in the kingdom at the same rate that you are entertaining yourself? What would the return on your kingdom investment be? So when you have your financial investments, you usually have an investment portfolio with all your different investments in it. But what if, as a way of seeking God's kingdom, what if you had a kingdom investment portfolio? A kingdom investment portfolio. We're giving to the church is a part of it. Giving to the local church, that's a part of your kingdom investment portfolio where you see the return in the life of the church. But what if you had in your portfolio missions and evangelism? And the return on your investment is that the gospel is going to the unreached people around the world. People who have never heard the name of Jesus are encountering Jesus for the first time. And in your portfolio, you had care for the poor. And the return on your investment is that you get to help keep a family housed who's one check away from being evicted and living on the streets with their kids. Or in your portfolio, you have your neighbors. And the return on your investment is when your neighbor's car breaks down, you're able to pay to fix it so they can thrive and live life and go to work and take their kids to school and all of those things. In your portfolio, you have campus ministry at ASU. And the return on your investment is that college students who are trying to figure out what type of person they want to become discover that they want to become like Jesus and follow him. And in your portfolio, you have the biblical category of widow and orphan. And your return on your investment is that you get to support foster and adoptive families as they care for the most vulnerable in our midst. And in your portfolio, you have your brothers and sisters in Christ here at Redemption. And the return on your investment is when the person in your RC loses their job or has mounting medical bills, you get to stand in the gap and provide. Because this is how God provides for his people. Through kingdom investing, that through your kingdom investment, God is actually answering the prayers of people who are worried. It's all happened to us. When we've been worried and we're praying, all of a sudden, somehow somebody meets the needs that we have through generosity because people are investing in the kingdom and we have benefited from that. But this is how there are people right now in this room, right now in our city who are praying to God because they are worried and they're anxious and your kingdom investment might just actually be the way that God answers their prayers. When you seek God's kingdom with money, food, clothing, instead of seeking security for yourself, Jesus will take care of your worries.
Jesus will take care of your worries, and he offers us something far better than the catchy song lyrics of Bobby McFerrin. He offers you himself. And as we come to communion this morning, the invitation in communion is to come to Jesus. To come to Jesus, the one who sought you and provided for you. The one who was willing to come to earth because he was not worried about food, but he went 40 days without it in order to be tempted in every way you are, but yet he did not sin. The one who was willing to come to earth because he was not worried about clothing, but he was willingly stripped naked on the cross so that you could be clothed in his righteousness. The invitation is to Jesus, the one who said, you are worth it. And he was willing to go to hell and back in order to bring you into his kingdom forever. And as we respond to the good news of Jesus and his provision and partake of the elements in communion, the bread represents Christ's body that was freely given for us. And the wine or the juice represent Christ's blood that was shed for us, the ultimate provision. So I wanna invite you in a moment after we pray to respond and sing to God and take communion as you come to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are a provider. Thank you that that you say we have much more value. Lord, so much so that that we are worth the the ultimate cost of you, Jesus, your life on the cross. Lord, that you provide the the deepest longings that we have for security. Lord, you actually give us. And so Jesus, I pray that you would be comforting people, encouraging people, convicting people, Lord, inspiring people to be generous. Lord, that, that there would be comfort to know that we don't have to worry. Lord, you seek us out. You are our provider. And Lord, there is great comfort in that. And so I pray for those who are hurting this morning. Lord, I pray for those who who are consumed by worry. I pray for those who are are consumed by even uh, greed and selfishness, Lord, that, that you would move in this place this morning by the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would bring freedom and liberation. And Lord, that you would make us a generous people who are seeking your kingdom through kingdom investing. And so Jesus, I pray now as we sing to you that you would be exalted on the praises of your people. Lord, you are worthy of it all because of what you've done for us. It's in your name, amen.